for words through which we pass with each loss out of whose darkness we are sanctioned into being. There is a cry deeper than all sound whose serrated edges cut the heart as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. So you can see this sculpture beginning to take shape behind me. It's made up of many little pieces, fragments, broken parts of CDs. Some of you may have gotten a piece of of CD when you came in today. If you haven't yet, you're invited to write down on that CD a place of brokenness in your own life, a place where you have fallen short or aspired to be or do something that didn't happen a grief, perhaps, or an addiction, some place in your life that feels unwhole and that you want to move toward wholeness. So this is a sampling of of what we've collected so far, and by next Sunday, out of all of those individual pieces of brokenness, we will create something of wholeness. And the truth is, one of the things I want to say today is that all of us have these places of brokenness in our lives. It is part of being human and it's part of what connects us to one another. And I want to share just a few of the words that have been written down on these CDs. This is just a tiny, tiny sampling on these fragments, these pieces of of brokenness. One um, said, I want to connect more with my wife and family. A number of them had themes around balance, finding balance. I can only imagine that means there's too much work or too much of something else in a mismatch around priorities and things that are important in one's life. A number of them had grief or loss, a sense of brokenness there or wanting to move toward wholeness or that grief was perhaps integrated. Um, Several mentioned addiction or alcohol as a problem. Several said slowing down, again, that, that theme of balance, slowing down making time to to make sense of the world. And if you haven't already, I do invite you to write your piece of brokenness down, and it will be added to this sculpture for uh, next Sunday. The other thing I hope that you're seeing is when our own individual brokenness is a part of something larger, we recognize that there is a wholeness to this, that that when our pieces are seen in light of everyone else's brokenness, we see that there is something normal, something human about being broken. It is what binds us to each other. And and pushing that idea further, um, I want to suggest to you that the work of this church is about helping all of us take what is broken in our lives and, and in the world Think of racism or environmental destruction or poverty, whatever it might be. There's a culture out there with this need for immediate gratification. Whatever the brokenness is in our lives or in the world, the church is a place that helps us take what is broken and begin to create something of wholeness in our own lives, in the community, in our families. Two weeks ago, in our salvation exploration, I suggested that Inside Out was 
one piece of salvation, a part of salvation, this idea of taking what's deep inside us, our deepest truths, our experiences of life, our yearning, our questions, those places of, of hurt, perhaps, and bringing that out, saying that out loud in a group that can hear it, that can be witness to it, that can hear it without interrupting or responding and simply let you speak your truth, that that pro- process or practice of inside out can be saving, that slowing down and letting our spirits catch up to our body, listening to our deepest selves and then speaking that truth, that process can be saving. And a week ago, last Sunday, I talked about how standing in solidarity with others for equal rights or for a living wage or with the environment, whatever it might be, but standing with others that can also be a piece of what saves us because it pulls us out of ourselves and our own needs and it reminds us that no one is saved until everyone is saved. Not saved for some future eternity or paradise, but saved in this world right here, right now. As Paul Wellstone often said, we all do better when we all do better. No one is saved until everyone is saved. Now, if you've missed any of the previous sermons, they are available on our website as podcasts. Uh, all of September is about salvation. And last Sunday, remember, we, we gave a shout-out to the podcast folks. I've heard from about half a dozen of them. Some of them actually are here today because they heard the shout-out from you all. So I wanted that loop to be closed. There's a whole worshiping community, about 150 people, that listen to these podcasts every Sunday. Um, and they're here, and I welcome them. Today what I want to dig into is uh, perfection, and perfection as it relates to salvation and moving toward wholeness. I didn't think this was a sermon that I was going to preach. I had, I had something else in mind, sort of a follow-up commentary on last Sunday's sermon, but this is the one, as I started thinking more about salvation and wholeness, that sort of landed on my heart, and it's what you're going to get this Sunday. It feels really important. To me, because as one of my favorite authors says, her name is Rachel Naomi Remen, she says, We're a culture addicted to perfection. We're a culture addicted to perfection. And that's a big sort of blanket statement, perhaps, but if you sit with it and you unpack it and you pull that apart and start kind of looking at the underlying message, here's what I want to paint, because this is the picture I see. The, the essential message here, and where the addiction piece comes in, or, or the per- addiction to perfection piece comes in, is this message that there's something essentially wrong with you, something broken with you. But if you get this certain thing, right, or do a certain thing, then your family or your hair, right, (laughs) or your body or your children or your sex life or even you as a person will be okay, will be perfect, will be perfect and lovable and okay, but there's this underlying message that there's something wrong with you right now, broken, and so you have to do something or buy something to correct that, to move toward perfection. The underlying message, I think, is that you must be perfect or have things in order, and that comes about from the right things, in order to be saved and to be loved. Let me illustrate this with a story. This is from Rachel Naomi Remen's book, Uh, kitchen table wisdom. And she says, salvation, and you could think, sorry, she says wholeness, and you could think salvation. She says, wholeness, 
lies beyond perfection. Perfection is only an idea. And the pursuit of perfection has become a major addiction of our time. I am a recovering perfectionist, she says. She goes on, few perfectionists can tell the difference between love and approval. Few perfectionists can tell the difference between love and approval. Perfectionism is so widespread in this culture that we actually have had to invent another word for love. Unconditional love, we say. (laughs) Yet all love is unconditional. Anything else, she writes, is just approval. The pursuit of perfection, she goes on, is built into every professional training. And this this is a good thing in many ways. I mean, we want our physicians and our tax people to be professionals, right? To get it right. But you have to leave that margin that says there are mistakes. Things happen. We fail. We do our best sometimes and still fall short. Rachel Naomi Remen continues here. She uh, ends up going to medical school, but long before that time, she says that she was trained as a perfectionist by her father. And she writes, as a child, when I brought home a 98 on an exam, when I brought home a 98 on an exam, he invariably responded, where are the other two points? I adored my dad, she says, And my whole childhood was focused on the pursuit of those other two points. By the time I was in my 20s, it was no longer necessary for him to ask me about those other two points. I had taken that over for myself. It was many years before I found out, she says, that those points don't matter. That they don't make you lovable or whole. She continues, life offers us many teachers and many teachings. One of my teachers was David, an artist and my first love. Well, we were together, she says. My driver's license came up for renewal, and I needed to take the written test on, you know, of the traffic laws. And the DMV had sent a little booklet. I studied it for days. All the while, I was memorizing the meaning of the white curb and the yellow curb. David would try to persuade me to go for a walk or out to dinner or go dancing or talk to some of our friends or just sit down together and spend some time. I told him I couldn't take the time. Of course, I got 100 on the test. Triumphant, I rushed into David's studio shouting that I had gotten 100% on my driving test. David looked up from his painting with an expression of great tenderness. (laughs) My love, he said, why would you want to go and do that? (laughs) My love, he said, why would you want to go and do that? It was not the response I expected. Suddenly, I understood that I had sacrificed a great deal to get a hundred on a test that I only needed to pass in order to drive. I had spent days learning many things I did not even want to know. It felt as if I had no choice. If my father could not approve of me with anything less than a hundred, I could not approve of myself with anything less than a hundred. It was clearly not about driving. It was about needing to deserve love. 
Fortunately, she writes, David did not play by those rules. He didn't even know the game. So here's where this intersects with my heart and my thinking about salvation and who we are as a faith community. One of the things, one of the things I worry about, <clears throat> that I sometimes worry about when I think about this church and who we are as a people, is that we might give off the impression that we are a church full of perfect people, people who seem to have their lives together 100%. This isn't true, of course. <laughs> it's not true at all. None of, our, none of us have our lives together 100% all of the time. But I worry that if we're not mindful, the church becomes one more place where we sort of put on that happy face and pretend that things are, fi- are fine, or we feel like an outsider when our life is falling apart and around us it seems like everybody has their life together. And that feeling, that sense of, wow, this is just a place for people who have their stuff together, it leaves us unable to bring our full, broken selves to this place, to offer the gifts that might come with some of those broken places. So I worry about that. And I know that's not really the case. And I want to try something with you all this morning that really will crack that idea wide open that this is a church just of perfect people who have their stuff together. And it might feel a little bit weird or a little bit risky what we're going to do, but I want you to go with me. I'm not going to have anybody stand up or call anybody up out here or do anything, anything like that. But I want you to, what I'm going to do is, is I'm, going to, I'm going to make a statement. I'm going to say something. And I want you to just hear it. Just let it wash, wash over you, let it land over you, let it land in this whole sanctuary. And then if that statement applies to you, I want you to imagine, I want you to imagine if it applies to you that you, that you put your hand up. So I'll say a statement, and if it applies, I'm not asking you to put your hand up. If you're moved by the Spirit, you can put your hand, you can, some people did actually at the 930 service, and I don't know if people in the pews could tell, but it touched me very deeply because it was powerful. I'm not asking anyone to put their hands up, but I'm going to say a statement, hear it, and then if it applies to you, imagine that you've put your hand up. Here we go. Blowing apart all notions that we're a church for the perfect. Here's the statement. I struggle with depression or anxiety or live with some other kind of mental illness. And there are a lot of hands we can't see, I promise you. I'm telling you, the spirit of life, I call it God, loves everyone, no exceptions. Statement. I struggle with addiction, or someone in my family struggles with addiction, or I am part of a 12-step program. I promise you there are more hands than we see up in this sanctuary. The spirit of life loves everyone, no exceptions. You're not just approved, you're loved. I'm currently homeless, or no someone who is homeless or have been homeless at some point in my life. 
You are not alone. I live with a pain so deep, I don't even know what to do with it. Friends, you're not alone. There are so many other hands up in the air right now. I am unemployed or underemployed or scared I'll lose my job. My finances are a mess. I am a survivor a survivor of abuse or domestic violence or living with it, seeking a way toward wholeness. Friends, I promise you that all of us in this room, and I've only touched a part of the brokenness that we carry in our lives. I promise you that at some point, whether you actually put your hand up or not, all of our hands were in the air. And I want to tell you, because I've talked to some of you about this, I want to tell you that in the midst of those places of brokenness, those places of despair or anguish or yearning, there is a strength. There is a strength that shines so brightly it catches my breath because The human spirit, there is something in the human spirit, in you, wherever you are in your life, that will not be extinguished. There is a strength and a power and a resiliency in the human spirit. And I have seen it, and you bear witness to it today. There's also a gift. There's also a gift in that brokenness. It is a tremendous gift if we would but see it and recognize it and share it. And the gift is this. I don't know why, but for some reason, we human beings seem to learn best how to love when we're a bit broken. I don't know why, but we human beings seem to learn to love best when we're a bit broken, when our plans have fallen apart, when our myths of self-sufficiency and goodness and safety are shattered, that is when we learn to love a little bit deeper. We seem to learn best how to love when we're a bit broken. Now, some of you might remember that in the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus says this crazy thing. He says, be perfect, therefore, like your heavenly Father is perfect. When I first read that passage, I was like, vomit. (laughs) Right? Because I'm not even sure about the heavenly Father language. I don't know what that means. But hold on to it and come with me for just a minute here. And and hold this up against Rachel Naomi Remen's story where she says she was after the approval of her father. She wanted to be perfect like she saw her father as perfect to, to receive that love, to get the approval, to be loved. It seems like it's the same thing, perhaps. Be perfect, therefore, like your heavenly father. But here's the thing. The word perfect 
in Aramaic doesn't mean that perfect 100% on every test in every part of your life. No, it means something really different. In Aramaic, the word perfect, so be perfect like your heavenly Father is perfect, means make room for growth, for the changes that might bring you into maturity. Make room for completeness and wholeness. Make room to mature and be ripe as a human being. In that sense, perfection then might mean that by naming and claiming your brokenness, you become more mature. You take the pieces out there, the broken pieces, the good pieces, all of that, as you move toward a wholeness, a completeness. And you also learn to love a bit deeper, yourself and others. So when it comes to salvation, We don't have to be perfect. We don't have to be without flaws, getting 100% on every test in our lives. Rather, we must see and own the brokenness in our lives and be willing to change and grow, assisted by that spirit of life and love, I call it God, as we bring together all of those pieces of who we are into a new creation, a new whole, a new maturity, That is one part of the personal journey toward wholeness, toward salvation. And I think it works the same way on the communal level. When we can see that our communities are broken, are fragmented by racism and poverty and a growing gap between the rich and the poor, when we can see that and name that and begin to work with others to build a new way, knowing we will make mistakes, but knowing we are loved nonetheless, then as a community, we move toward wholeness, toward salvation. So I'm suggesting that salvation on personal levels and communal levels is about naming the brokenness, knowing we are loved. And this is the piece. This is why a small group or prayer, or whatever it is, I think is so important for a spiritual maturity. I try to say it as much as I can from the pulpit, but this really deeply in your heart, in your soul, knowing your love. It's the heart of universalism, this idea that God loves, that spirit of life loves, the big cosmos, call it what you want, loves, cares, holds the entire creation. Home is a place where you belong. It is a place where you can thrive. It is Earth is our home, and we belong here. That is another way of saying you are loved. Naming the brokenness and knowing we are loved nonetheless. As we break open, think of the reading Kate shared, as we break open to the place inside which is unbreakable and whole. Salvation is about naming the brokenness and knowing we are loved as we break open to that place inside which is unbreakable and whole while learning to sing. While learning to sing. May it be so. And amen.